You're listening to Comedy Central. January 7, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. tonight is an advocate for women's rights, and she has a new book about refugee girls. Malala Yousafzai is here, everybody! A true superstar. But before we get into the news, Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! Man, it's good to be back. My New Year's resolution was to stop eating cigarettes. Lasted two days. It's going well. Uh, and I had a great vacation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I had to have a little vocal cord surgery done at the end of last year. It went really well. The doctor was amazing, so thank you very much uh, to the doctor. And then um, I went and I had a vacation with my friends, and we went to California. It was sunny. And, uh, and then I, I did what I love doing, which is going to theme parks. Right? That's, that's like my greatest joy, is just riding around on, on like, roller coasters. I've always loved roller coasters, because in South Africa, we don't really have great roller... Like, we have, like, the most intense one goes around, like, once. <laughs> and, that, and then I used to see American ones, and I was just like, so many spins! <laughs> so that's always been my dream, right? So I, I wanted to ride the roller coasters. And people saw me on my Instagram riding roller coasters, and they're like, Trevor, your voice, how do you ride roller coasters when you don't have a voice? I was like, I'll tell you how. The key is to have one of your best friends ride with you. And you gotta make sure that that best friend has a voice and uses it appropriately on a roller coaster. And so one of my best friends from South Africa, his name is Olisa, right? And I always make sure I sit next to him on a roller coaster and I'll record our journeys together. And you'll understand why I don't need a voice because this, this is what he does whenever we ride together. <laughs> And by the way, that's, that's also how the Democrats were watching the elections in 2016. Yeah, 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 yeah! Anyway, it's officially our first show of 2019, so let's catch up on today's headlines. As you probably know by now, Democrats took control of the House of Representatives for the first time in eight years. That's right. Eight years. You realize... You realize the last time the Democrats had this much power in Congress, there were only two Transformers movies, and Harvey Weinstein only looked like a creep. <laughs> we were so innocent then. But that was then, and this is now. Democrats control the House, and they've hit the ground running. They've introduced a package of voting reforms. Uh, they've talked about infrastructure and prescription drug pricing. But for one incoming Congresswoman, there was a different priority. Just hours after making history as the first Palestinian-American woman sworn into Congress, Michigan Democrat Rashida Tlaib is sparking a firestorm. Caught on camera telling a crowd last night what she told her son about the president. We're gonna go in there, we're gonna impeach the mother... Please, please, sit down, sit down, please. Now, a lot of people thought that it was cool that uh, Rashida Tlaib used this kind of language, but frankly, I was disappointed. I don't think she should have called President Trump a mother all right? I think it's lazy. You had three years to prepare, and mother was all you could come up with. 
Like, she should have been like, we're gonna go in there and impeach that butter-flavored cotton candy comb-over, that carrot crayon who looks like he's wearing a cheap mask of his own face, <laughs> the only person who's Uber-rating is, get the out of my car. <laughs> that would have been more appropriate. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, moving on to some other news. As you probably know, the Pacific Ocean is full of garbage. Right? It's basically Hawaii and 8 billion Dasani bottles out there. But one young man had a plan to clean it up, and as you will see, it didn't work out. An effort to skim nearly 2 trillion pieces of plastic from the Pacific Ocean appears to have gone bust. 24-year-old Dutch inventor Boyan Slat says the system, consisting of a massive pipe and underwater skirt, is now being towed back to port after the crew discovered a nearly 60-foot section of the boom broke off. We first met Slat in September, just before the launch. Are you sure it will work? Uh, no. <laughs> That's what we'll see in the coming months, right? Slat says after repairs, the system should be back skimming trash from the great garbage patch later this year. Man, being a white guy rocks. <laughs> this kid goes to an interview and says, honestly, I have no idea if this is going to work. And they're like, well, uh, we're all white here, have $20 million, here we go. <laughs> and then instead of cleaning up the garbage, the thing breaks, and now it's garbage that they have to clean up. And everyone's like, man, that was a huge waste of money, let's do it again, yeah! <laughs> but at the same time, look, to be fair, you have to do something. Right? There's so much garbage in the ocean. I mean, at this point, there's so much trash, I feel like the next Aquaman movie is just gonna be him trying to get out of a six-pack ring for two hours. <laughs> He's gonna be strangling there like, Batman, help me, help me. Be like, sorry, I don't have the scissors in the suit. I didn't bring it, it's in my other suit. All right, let's move on to our top story. <laughs> the Wall. It's not only one of the lead characters in Game of Thrones, it's also President Trump's most famous campaign promise. Now, according to Trump, The Wall is almost completely built, and America is safer than ever before. But at the same time, according to Trump, he also says there is no wall and America is in grave danger. And I know those messages seem contradictory, but remember that the Bible does this all the time. In the Old Testament, the Bible is like, don't eat shrimp. Then in the New Testament, Jesus took everyone to Red Lobster. So, <laughs> yeah, they're like, Jesus, why are we here? He's like, because you <laughs> me good, Judas, that's why. <laughs> Now, don't forget, yes, Jesus listened to Beyonce because he knew the future. That's the whole point of the joke. <laughs> now, don't forget, <laughs> just a month ago, when Republicans still controlled all of Congress, Trump couldn't get funding for his wall. So with the Democrats in the House, it's no surprise that the situation has escalated. A new year, a new Congress in Washington, and Trump's shutdown enters its third week. 17 days and counting as President Trump refuses to back down on his budget demand of $5 billion for a border wall with Mexico. And the government remains in partial shutdown. Democrats standing firm that no taxpayer dollars be used to build a wall. The president repeatedly promised that Mexico would pay for his unnecessary and ineffective border wall. On Friday, he suggested the shutdown may last months or even years. If we have to stay out for a very long period of time, we're going to do that. Wow. The shutdown could keep going for years? I bet Trump is just hoping that if it goes on long enough, America can't afford to have another election, and then he can just keep being president. <laughs> like, unfortunately, there's not enough money for an election, folks. <laughs> we only have the funds to print one ballot, and I get to use it, so my vote... It's for Chester Cheetah. <laughs> Anyone who wears sunglasses inside is cool enough to be my president, folks. <laughs> now, the thing about shutdowns is that if they end quickly, there's not much harm that is done, right? But the longer they go on, the worse the effects are. Right? Think of it like this. If you leave your cats at home alone for the weekend, 
They may not love it, but they'll be fine. Right? They'll just like drink toilet water or something, right? But if you're gone for six months, you're gonna need some new cats, right? <laughs> and because they escape and then they leave. <laughs> and 17 days into this shutdown, let's just say that America's cats are starting to stink. Tonight, nearly a dozen departments and agencies have run out of funding. Roughly 25% of the federal government gone dark. Here are those departments. Agriculture, Commerce, Justice, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development, Interior, State, Transportation, Treasury. Many judges are furloughed, creating a backlog in the immigration court system. Then there are the farmers already under duress from the president's trade war with China. The shutdown means they're not getting those stimulus payments promised by their government. The ripple effects extending to the national parks, piling up with garbage, even human waste, turning them into health hazards. Park visitors in some places are taking care of business, shall we say, along pathways or in the woods. That's right. The shutdown has gotten so bad that at national parks, Americans are pooping on the ground. <laughs> Who's the shithole country now? <laughs> at the same time, though, at the same time, though, I thought shitting on the ground is just what you do when you go camping in the woods. I mean, I don't know why this is a problem. I mean, I don't go camping because I'm black, but it's what I always assumed <laughs> people do. And the shutdown has gotten so bad that the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. has had to close everything down, including their beloved panda cam. Yeah, which broke my heart. Because I love the panda cam. I relate to pandas. I, too, am half black, half white. <laughs> and I also don't want to have kids. So I, uh, decided that The Daily Show was gonna do something about the panda cam being down, which is why I'm proud to announce we brought a live panda to the show! <laughs> oh, no. I'm just, no, I'm... Guys, I'm, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. We can't, we can't afford to bring a panda here. We don't have that John Oliver HBO money, all right? <laughs> what we do have is some special effects that are really bad, and employees, you have to do whatever I say. So please welcome the star of our panda camp, Michael Costa, everybody! <laughs> this is humiliating, Trevor. I'm a grown man, and now you're... Uh, I don't want to cut you off, Costa, but can you just chew on the bamboo while you speak, please? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> what I was saying was that this is undignified. And if you keep treating us this way, we won't be around much longer. <laughs> He's so cute. Look at him <laughs> with his little stick. Thanks, Panda. We'll check in later. Oh, where were we? Ah, oh, yes, the government shutdown. Now, the shutdown is affecting lots of people. But the people it's affecting most, most directly, are the government workers themselves. You see, 800,000 federal employees aren't getting paid right now. And for a lot of them, it's really hitting hard. Americans are talking about the tough financial challenges they face on Twitter, using the hashtag shutdown stories. In Wyoming, Ernie Johnson says thankfully his auto loan deferred his truck payment in January, but if he doesn't receive back pay, he'll likely be evicted February 1st. And Sarah Watterson, who describes herself as a Marine Corps veteran on Twitter, puts her family struggle into perspective, saying, my children don't care about walls. They do care about having a warm house to live in, a car to ride in, clothes to wear, and food in their bellies. None of which is possible if their mom can't go to work. The president says their pain is for a higher purpose. The people that won't get next week's pay or the following week's pay, I think if you ever really looked at those people, I think they'd say, Mr. President, keep going. This is far more important. Why is Trump fantasizing about what people are saying about the shutdown instead of just listening to what they're saying about the shutdown. 
Like, he's fantasizing. He's up there like, I think what they would be saying is, we're saying we hate it! We want our money! Shh, be quiet. I'm trying to imagine what you would be saying. <laughs> they would be saying, I'm so handsome. <laughs> and now, before you get totally mad at Trump, remember, he isn't the kind of person to just kick people out of work without offering them any help. No. In fact, his Office of Personnel Management is giving unpaid government workers some handy advice on how to cope without cash. The U.S. Office of Personnel Management has advice for those federal employees on how to deal with their precarious financial situations. They make this suggestion. Federal employees should offer to perform chores in exchange for rent payments. One example, um, this sample letter uh, to a landlord that reads in part, I would like to discuss with you the possibility of trading my services to perform maintenance, for example, painting carpentry work in exchange for partial rent payments. You want people to trade rent for carpentry? <laughs> so we're going back to the barter system? I mean, I knew Trump was gonna make America go backwards, but not to the Middle Ages. I mean... <laughs> no, because at this rate, we're three weeks away from America being a full-on barter system, right? And as an African, let me tell you guys, you do not want the barter system. Yeah, you're gonna be sitting there trying to figure out how many goats an iPhone is worth. Is it one goat? Is it half a goat? And you ever try to make change for a goat? It's not pretty, folks. <laughs> but as dire as the consequences seem, the shutdown shows no signs of coming to an end. Yeah. It's a record right now. And that's really depressing news because everyone doesn't know when it's gonna end. We don't know where it's gonna go. Which is why I thank God every day for our panda cam. <laughs> panda, what, what, what are you doing? Michael, you're supposed to be a real panda, dude. It's for the people. A panda wouldn't be reading Michelle Obama's book. Why? Well, are, are pandas Republican? No, Michael, just drop the book, book and do panda stuff, man. You know, like, roll around on the ground and shit. I mean, I mean is that what you want? Huh? Is, is this what you want, Trevor? Yeah, huh? panda. Are you not entertained? <laughs> huh? This you is dope. You can't do this anymore. Nah, I'm activating my white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not doing this. I'm sorry, you, you're activating your what? My white privilege, yeah, that's right. Sir, you've been upgraded to first class right this See? way. See what I mean? There you go. I knew it was a real thing. Michael Costa, everyone, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. In the past year, the Me Too movement has exposed many powerful men who used their positions to get away with sexual assaults. But there is one person who has consistently avoided punishment even as he racked up tons of allegations, R. Kelly. But now, that may finally be changing. For decades, as his career soared, singer R. Kelly has denied repeated claims of sexual misconduct. But now, some of his alleged victims are speaking out in a powerful new docuseries about the sexual, mental, and physical abuse they claim they suffered at his hands. I believe I can fly. He's the singer known for hits like I Believe I Can Fly and Ignition. But these days, R. Kelly may be just as well known for the decades of allegations against him of domestic abuse and sex with minors. That's right. A documentary came out, and it's six parts long, which is a ton of accusations. Like, R. Kelly has more skeletons in his closet than a Saudi embassy. And this new documentary has been getting a lot of attention but it's resulted in one really strange side effect. And while surviving R. Kelly was trending at number one on Twitter during its debut, his music was getting renewed interest as well. Now I'm not trying to be rude. With reports, his music on some platforms have actually seen a spike in streams. 
So, just so we're on the same page, America sees this documentary about R. Kelly and underage girls, and now they're consuming more of his music? <laughs> These are the same people, probably, who ordered more salad when they learned romaine lettuce was killing people. That's probably <laughs> the same group. They're like, who died? Man, give me a side salad. I know lettuce wouldn't do that to nobody who didn't deserve it. Give me that side salad. <laughs> For more on these allegations against R. Kelly, we turn to our music expert, Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Yes. <laughs> Roy. I don't get it, man. This, this documentary comes out, mm -hmm. right? And somehow, his music is more popular. What on earth is going on? Well, first of all, R. Kelly. <laughs> like, just get that out the way. There's no way, there's no way to watch this documentary and still be a fan of this guy. And to be honest, I think the only reason he's been getting away with this as long as he has is because he was doing it to black girls. I mean, he married, I mean, he married Aaliyah when she was 15 and nothing happened. If he even thought about marrying that little bald-headed girl from Stranger Things, America would be like, I believe you can fly your ass to prison. <laughs> The, the bald-headed girl, you mean Millie Bobby Brown? Oh, is that her name? I, I don't know. The, the, the black community only recognizes one Bobby Brown at a time. <laughs> but, but, Roy, okay, what I don't get is, like, why are these allegations increasing his music's popularity? I don't know, but I'll tell you what isn't helping. The news. Every time they report on his crimes, they do it like this. Despite several previous allegations of abusive behavior, Robert Kelly, or as the world knows him, R. Kelly, has bounced back repeatedly. But one accuser tells us she now believes things this time may be different. Hey, pretty girl, I'm feeling you the way you do the things you do. <laughs> you, you can't talk about R. Kelly's supposed crimes, then play Ignition. That song is irresistible. You're sitting there watching the news all angry. How could this monster prey on these innocent... Oh my God, that's my jam. <laughs> you can't do that. Stop playing his music and just tell us what he did. Just, just, say, just say what he did. Can you imagine how hard it would have been to stay mad at Bill Cosby if every time they reported on his crimes, they did stuff like this? Breaking tonight, TV icon Bill Cosby, now a convicted felon, found guilty of sexual assault. <laughs> Trevor, what are you doing? Oh, I, I'm downloading old Cosby episodes. That was funny. No, <laughs> no, that's what I'm talking about. That's the shit I'm talking about, man. Oh, oh, sorry, Roy, but look, but R. Kelly has written and produced so many songs for himself, for other artists, it's almost impossible to completely avoid his music. Maybe for you. I can tell you what I'm gonna start doing. Have you seen Bird Box yet? <laughs> you ain't seen Bird Box? Bird, Bird Box is a movie about a white lady cussing at her kids in a rowboat. <laughs> and from, from what I learned in this movie is that if you don't want something to get to you, you gotta block it out, right? You just gotta, <laughs> gotta block it out. But instead of covering my eyes, I'm gonna start covering my ears. <laughs> And I'm gonna call it the R. Kelly Challenge. That way, people can focus on what he did and not get seduced by his music. That is See, genius. I Roy Wood Jr. That is genius. Wow. All the kids, all 
That's amazing. That's really amazing. What you understand, Trevor, is that no, it's, the, the bird good. box we're teaches good. us that Roy. things that look good Roy. might not be good for you. Roy. It's an allegory for Roy. what's it's, really it's, going we're, on we're in good. the world. I can't you, you don't, can take man, it man, off. Don't touch him, man. They might be playing R. Kelly. You need to take it off. They might be playing R. Kelly. I can't take this off. I need you to take it off. We're going to add break. We'll be right back. The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an education activist, Malala Fund co-founder and best-selling author whose new book is called We Are Displaced, My Journey and Stories from Refugee Girls Around the World. Please welcome Nobel Peace Prize winner, Malala Yousafzai. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You know, it's, it's weird. I'll, I'll tell you a little personal story. You are one of those few human beings who walks the planet and is um, seen as, 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 as a saint. Like, you're seen as somebody who is better than the rest of us, because you are. You but, are late, so... Right, but <laughs> then this was really great. So uh, we kept Malala waiting because we are running late today. And so... You... Trying to impress me and like say and then... nice things about me. No, no, and then you don't think it's working. <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> no, but then like, and then you tweeted a picture throwing shade at me. It's like she's sitting on the side, she's holding my book, and she's like, "Ah, oh, Trevor, who is who is this guy, and why is he late?" And I was like, <laughs> I, like, I, I forget that you are a person who's like also having fun in life. Do you do sometimes people only treat you like like a deity? Does it get a bit weird when you're talking to people? Um, no, I have really good friends, and they're very nice to me. Right. <laughs> So yeah. do they treat you completely normally? Yeah, very normally. Oh, like, they're just like, Malala, I don't care, close the door. No, like, you know, the way I'm, like, you know, my university life, the right. teachers set the deadlines. If I miss it, they would be, like, not happy. I would be terrified to be your teacher in school. Because, oh, no. no, because you have a Nobel Prize. And then, like, Malala's in your class. You're like, Malala, would you like to teach the class? And she's like, yeah, I will. <laughs> I wish. It just, does, does nobody ever bring that up with you? No. No? Not even my university interview. Oh, nice. Yeah. You, you don't bring it up either? No, I couldn't. I was scared. But you have a Nobel Prize. Like, let me tell you something, Lala. I'm going to teach you a little bit about swag. Um, <laughs> if you have a Nobel Prize, you should start every sentence with Nobel Prize, even if it, it's not necessary. <laughs> if you're at Starbucks and they're like, what would you like? You say, well, as a Nobel Prize winner, <laughs> I'll have the venti. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons people are so drawn to you and your story is, is not just because of the journey you've been on, but because of the, the, the focus you bring to other people's journeys. And this book, We Are Displaced, is another example of that. My journey and stories from refugee girls around the world. Why did you feel the need to include other stories other than your own? I mean, your story is already so amazing. Why bring in others? Yeah, people already know about my story and uh, displacement was part of my life. Uh, in Pakistan and then also moving to the UK. Uh, but I have met girls around the world who have been displaced, who have lost their homes, and uh, often people talk about refugees and immigrants in numbers and in figures, and we hear about refugees, but we, near, uh, we never hear from refugees. Right. And for me, it was so important that we hear from these girls, hear their stories and get inspired, and, uh, you know, they show resilience and bravery and courage, and, uh, and I think they have overcome all these difficulties, so there's a lot for us to learn from them. It's interesting because when you, when you see images from, uh, you know, peop, uh, refugee settlements or places where people have been displaced by war, 
it's often the images that connect with people. As you say, the numbers don't seem to shake anyone. Mm -hmm. But for instance, from Syria, we saw the image of that little boy. You know, um, do you think that we could do a better job of putting a face to these people and to these groups? Do you think there's something we could do to improve how we see other human beings who are struggling? I think definitely there are a number of ways in which we can actually know more about the issue. Uh, I think firstly is, you know, finding out and meeting the refugees and immigrants in our own community. And uh, one of the stories I have shared is of this amazing young woman who is reaching out to uh, immigrants in her community, helping them, you know, going to the grocery shop or uh, getting their education or applying to university. So it's actually going out there and doing it yourself, but also um, you know, listening to the, the girls' stories that are out there, reading this book is one right. is one opportunity uh, to hear from these girls, and uh, uh, and I think this is a way for us to to hear from them, um, and uh, and I think what is inspiring is that people are interested in these stories and and they want to know more, and uh, I've already seen that, so yeah. When you when you look at the story of refugees around the world, one thing that seems consistent is being a refugee is already hard enough being a woman or a girl who's a refugee exponentially increases how difficult that journey is. It's so much more precarious. It's, it's, it's a really dangerous position to be in as a young girl. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are about girls who are refugees or refugees in general around the world? I think uh, the first thing is that becoming a refugee is never their first choice. This is the last choice and this is often the, the only choice that they have, right. is to leave their homes for their safety, for their better future, because they have lost many things in their lives. And, uh, you know, one of the stories that I have mentioned is of Annalisa from Guatemala who lost her parents. She became orphan at the age of 15 and had to cross the, the U.S. border and go through so many difficulties and, you know, the fear and, 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 and this, 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 I, this sense that you go through where you feel like you're not safe and like somebody could kidnap you or somebody could put you in jail, like all that you have to go through is, is not an easy thing when you're only 15 years old who have lost their parents. And so it just reminds us of the, of the courage that these people have, but also the fact that you know, we need to look at it from a more uh, a human eye, from a human angle and understand what would we be in a situation, um, how would we react in a, such a situation? What would we personally be uh, when, when we also face the same kind of conflicts right. or wars or uh, other things that force us to leave our homes? You, you recently spoke in Australia and you spoke out against their policy of turning away boats of refugees that had landed on their shores or had, been, had come close to their shores. If you were trying to convince somebody who was anti-immigrant or anti-refugee, have you found anything that you can say to them that shifts them, or, or, or do you find a way that you can speak to people to try and help them see the humanity in this plight? Well, I've been trying it for a while, and uh, I think it is difficult to convince people, but I think, um, for me, the best way to know about is, I think oftentimes people do not know enough. They do not, they have not met a refugee person. They have not talked to a refugee girl and what she has gone through. So I think it's important for people to actually go and talk to people. That's the best way to integrate. And my father often says that, you know, if you want to know about a Muslim man or a Muslim person, do not know them through the news, but rather 
go and visit your next door neighbor who's a Muslim and talk to them. So I think talking to people is, is important, but also go and look for facts and figures of how immigrants and refugees have contributed to the global economies and how, you know, for instance, take the US, how refugees and immigrants have built this country to at the level that it is right now. And also just uh, look at the human side of why people leave their homes. Right. And it is not that simple. It is never their first choice. And it is often uh, the difficulties that they face that, that push them out of their houses. And, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, when we were leaving Swat Valley, our hometown, that was because there was, it was not safe to stay there. Our lives were at risk. And uh, we did not know where we were going. We, we did not know for how long, but we knew that we could not stay there. There was no more choice uh, but, but to leave our homes. Right. The, one of the, the, the reasons to, to buy this book is because of the stories that are truly amazing and well-written. Another reason is because the proceeds go to an amazing cause, and that is um, to your foundation, which focuses on education. Why did you specifically choose that? Why, why is the Malala Fund specifically going after education of all the things that you could have done? Well, firstly, because I remember the time when my own education was banned by this extremist group called the Taliban. And, uh, and I remember waking up, um, I think, 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago. It was the month of January 2009. And I woke up one morning, and girls' education was completely banned, and no girl was allowed to go to school. And I realized that my future was taken away from me. My dreams were taken away from me. I was just limited to the house. I could not go and learn. I could not go and study. I could not go and become a doctor or a teacher or an engineer. And for many girls, the only way towards empowerment is learning and is, is getting their education, doing a job, and then standing on their own two feet. So for me, it is, it, it's, education is, is crucial for every girl's empowerment. Uh, but also the fact that if half of the population of the world does not get education, if they are not empowered, then the, the world is losing. We all are losing. So uh, education is crucial for me, especially the education of women, because when we educate women, this allows us to grow economies. Educating all girls up to secondary level would add up to $30 trillion to the world economy. It helps us to tackle climate change. It helps us reduce poverty, fight against early child marriages, uh, the, the cultural norms and traditions that are out there that are discriminating women. It has so many advantages. and. Uh, uh, and I was one of the victims, and I was one of those girls, and I know that it is crucial for all girls to go and learn and, uh, and also you know, the, the benefits that education brings to, to the world as well. And refugees' children's education is equally important, especially the young girls who oftentimes in the refugee camps, they are forced to get married. Uh, for instance, in Lebanon, like 41% of the Syrian refugee girls get married before the age of 18. So, that's why we started Malala Fund, and the work is focused on the education of girls, especially complete education, not just primary, but complete primary and secondary education, safe and quality education to ensure that. Uh, and, and for that, we invest in local leaders and, and local uh, educators. Uh, and and uh, for instance, like in Lebanon, one of our uh, activists is, is going out and talking to the, the girls' parents right. and, and the local li religious leaders and, uh, and convincing them to send their daughters to school. Or one of our activists is using this digital device that works in the absence of electricity and internet to educate girls in the refugee camps. In Brazil, we have activists. In Pakistan and Afghanistan, we have activists who are reaching out and, and doing work at the local level. It's amazing having you on the show. You continue to inspire us. You make us realize 
how trash we are as human beings. <laughs> and I appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on the show. <laughs> we Are Displaced will be available January 8th. And to learn more about Malala Fund, please visit malala.org. Nobel Prize winner Malala yourself. Bye, everybody. <laughs> The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.